So let's see. We we were like we we're talking about Valve, right? And Team Fortress. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a good game. And then you talked about uh, Counter Strike, which I haven't played as much as I should have. I got mauled, destroyed the the couple times that I started playing when I was in high school. Yes. Yeah. I just didn't go back into it. Yeah. Yeah, I was the same. But I grew up in the in the country in Tennessee, and uh, I still had a 56k modem at that point in time. And my um, my friends from high school all had cable internet, and so I would get on and have this like 300 ping and be so slow. But but they still tell this story like to this day of this time that I was it was in like a, a tournament match, and like my, my lag gave me like a, an advantage because I like got a couple of kills, but like I, I wasn't even aware that I was killing them at the time. Wow. Yeah. That, yeah, lag is interesting. I think um, that's going to be the biggest hurdle if VR ever has like eSports, its own version of eSports. Yeah. Can't be fucking around with lag, man. Even now, especially now. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and there'll be so much data going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's something... Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I was talking to an investor, uh, I think on Friday, and and I think that's one of the one of the co- most commonly brought up questions or points mm-hmm. from investors is like, what about the lag? What about the bandwidth? You know? Yeah. Is the internet ready for that? Um, yeah, I mean, you think about a lot of the games and stuff you download on Oculus or Vive for three, four, five gigabytes or more. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Yeah, just thinking about like streaming that. It seems like there's there's room for like much smarter systems that could operate sort of underneath of the level of all of these art assets. Yeah. So there's probably people listening to this conversation just listening to two random dudes. Um, I'm going to not be that rude and say I'm Chris Miranda and this is Enter VR and you're listening to my friend Chris Smith talking on the other end. And Chris, tell tell me tell me about how you um, are involved in VR currently. Sure. Um, spent the last year working on a project that really aims at reducing suffering using VR, and so it sort of started out as wanting to leverage the insights from meditation and bring them into this new immersive medium, um, and it's led down this path of really diving into biofeedback and thinking about like how do we get sensor data in like heart rate and EEG data and breathing rate data and make these immersive experiences that can help treat all sorts of issues, anxiety, pain, chronic stress, um, or just relaxation. So spent most of the year just doing sort of R and D building things, meditating, really feeling them out, speaking to a lot of people and, um, actually bumped into you, Chris, at this conference down at Esalen, which was sort of a spiritual virtual reality retreat thing uh, that was really fascinating. Yeah, for sure. It was awesome, too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's so, and so, it's, yeah, tell me more. I mean, where where are you planning to take this? What is your vision for, you know, what it is that it is that you're building? Sure. Yeah, I mean... Ultimately, I'm still figuring it out. Um, I think the thing I feel most certain about is that VR is going to have a massive impact on the way we conceive of ourselves and of reality. And it seems the most impactful place to apply that is to our own our own well-being. Um, 
So right now what we've built is a breathing sensor and a, a meditative breathing experience that's really sort of training wheels for meditation. Um, it's just a therapeutic breathing experience that um, businesses can put into conference rooms to help their employees relax or regain focus. Um, and it sort of leverages research on certain types of breathing that can be really beneficial and then starts to explore this this idea of what, what happens when the environment reflects your breathing in some way or you use your breath to engage with the world. Um, so, yeah, we're just starting to work with businesses now, so still in the, the very early stages. But, I mean, long term, I would, I would love to see it become um, really like a one-stop shop for any mental health challenges that you're facing, whether that's, you know, connecting with a remote um, practitioner um, or building these immersive environments that can utilize your own biofeedback, your own biosignals and systems or state combine that with some sort of artificial intelligence that can you just go into it it knows that you're feeling bad or sad and, and curates and creates some sort of experience that can help you to alleviate that stress or pain or, or whatever it may be tell me more let me take a let's take a step back because i want to understand more about how you define meditation and the uh -huh. meditative experience you know tell me more about you know what your concept looks like mm. Mm, so right now there's there's a few sort of subcomponents of it. Um, basically, you start out in one of them. You start out in this beach scene, and you sort of you use your breath to navigate down this path. So each time you you have this ball that that's tied directly to your breathing data. So within you know 100 times a second, it's updating based on how much air is flowing out of your mouth. And as that ball moves forward, it changes color based on like a six second or a four second cycle. So if you're um, there's there's good data showing that if you do six second six second exhales and four second inhales, it correlates with a like higher heart rate variability and um, reduction in sympathetic nervous system activity. So you just get more relaxed. So basically, it's you start down this path and you breathe to move down the path. So each time the the breath moves out, it sort of transports you a little bit further down the path in kind of a smooth way. And when you get to the end, you are looking out over this beach and the sun is rising and you. Um, get some audio guidance to really focus in your awareness onto the breath. Um, so that's the, that's the the core of that one. Um, and there's another one that's sort of similar where you're you're actually flying around the San Francisco uh, Bay Area space, a space that's modeled after it, and then you end up um, at the top of Mount Tam, really looking out over the bay and um, doing some immersive breathing exercises as well. So. Your experiences, I tried. I tried the um, the one with the breath, and uh, that takes you over the mountains. And there's the cliffside, and and the, and I, I feel like there was an ocean. Um, yeah. But it was it, yeah, it was really really beautiful. Um, but but how do I know when I have achieved a meditative state? You know how do mm. I, how do I know? So so that's sort of where I'm trying to get at. Like, mm -hmm. what what is it that? How is it? What does it look like in the real world when someone reaches that, and how do you bring that to VR? Yeah, I think what we're starting out with. I mean, it's 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 qualitative and it's different for everyone. I mean, you could you can find certain markers on EEG that say you know what relaxation is or what focus is. Um, I think qualitatively, what we're going to focus on first is just surveying before and after. Like, do you feel relaxed? Like, how much more relaxed do you feel? Like on a a scale of one to ten, um, um, become 
Lute estates, but I think they're all they're all personal. Um, so longer term, I think we'll have good data that'll sort of prove prove the um, validity of it. But um, if 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 you come into Chris, I am losing you, sir. Skype is currently shitting on us, and this is not good. Hello, hello. Hey, so the simulation is getting in the way right now. You are sounding Traffic, completely uh, cut off. Hello, hello. Are you there? Uh-oh. Hey. Can you so, hear me now? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So it's it's um the last 30 seconds, you sort of just completely went back and forth, and we couldn't, I couldn't make out anything you were saying. Um, Bummer. It sucks. I hope Skype keeps this shit together. Um, Seriously, if it Skype, does it a come couple, on. If it doesn't, if it does it a couple more times, um, then I'll just edit it out. I think it should well, be okay. But okay, where, where were you? I I feel like I lost long, you. Long story short, it's just I think first things first is like qualitatively, if you say you come into this experience and you say you feel like a seven out of ten on the stress on a stress scale, ten being like the most stress you ever felt one being absolutely relaxed um if you come out if you go into it with a seven and you qualitatively say like i feel more relaxed coming out of it that's that's gonna be the starting point and then um eventually we'll do more testing with eeg and um, heart rate while people are using these experiences and use that to optimize towards towards um a more effective system but um yeah I mean, how do you feel about like what do you, what do you define as a meditative state for you? That's hard. It's really hard. You know, I've actually that's a question I've been asking myself all my life, <laughs> and I still don't know if I if I if I've ever really reached reached it or you know. And I sometimes I'm like I, t- I just tell myself, all right, this is this is it. I mean, I feel like I, you know, but I well, but I I don't know I don't know if it's the same thing that we all feel. You know, like if it's the same thing for everyone. Yeah, I think I think there's lots of like there's lots of different flavors of it. I mean, if you look at like some of the, a lot of the traditional Buddhist literature, um, or or like the sort of original path that the Buddha talked about, he broke down the path into to, uh, segments called jhanas, and the jhanas have different um, sort of flavors per se. Like you start out and you might feel intense happiness, um, but as you go on, like intense happiness is a very high energy state, and so over time it mellows out into something that's more like peacefulness and then it mellows out even more to something that's more like equanimity where you just feel like everything's you know good as it is um so i think you know it's it the thing that seems to be most important to me is like can we help people relax can you can we build an experience that takes advantage of the the meditative methods and um new psychology data new neuroscience data and new um, technology mediums to to just combine all those into a system that takes the best of all of them and just makes people feel better. Mm-hmm. Do you ever do you ever feel the need um, to you know uh, package that experience um, w- with its marketing in a, in, a, in a, you know how do you know what speaks to people because the the the, the pragmatic sort of benefit of the thing that you're providing is there but how do you mm-hmm. how do you how do you market it to people how do you make it you know so that people realize its value from from the get-go 
Yeah, I mean, that's a challenge. I think I've, I've gone back and forth on it so much. And, and as we're sort of ramping up into the sort of actually getting the product out there phase, it's um, a question we really need to, we're going to start testing a lot um, coming up. Uh, I was initially really hesitant to, to say meditation. I still am somewhat because meditation in and of itself comes with a lot of baggage of, can you hear me okay? Yep, yep. Okay. Um, like meditation comes with a lot of baggage of people feeling, oh, I need to be sitting. Like there's no technology in meditation. It, you know, it's more contemplative. It's totally internal, um, which to for the most part I agree with. Um, and, and I see this as, as tools that can help people to um, learn different models of thinking that they can use inside their own minds. Um, I'll see where was where was I? Um, but but like mindfulness, for instance, is is becoming it's such a trend, and so I'm I'm actually like more positive on the the word mindfulness, um, and it's just generally getting a lot of publicity in in corporate wellness programs, um, in you know Sam Harris's book, like things like um, you know waking up or like a guide to to spirituality without religion. Uh, there's all sorts of good data, like science data, that's coming out on on the benefits of of mindfulness. Is generally the word they use. So, it feels like that's a good place to start. I think I think there's also going to be an aspect of it that's just marketed as like a attention, focus, and and relaxation tool. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely not an easy task, <laughs> and and, well, and it's it's hard to know how people are going to react react to a product before before you launch it. So it's yeah, it's definitely something. I feel like I mean, what is your strategy? You know, how do you how will you know how uh, whether people are reacting positively, and and how will you know when it's time to pivot and try something new? Hmm. I think there's there's like multiple layers of that. There's one is like trying something new as far as like the way that we describe it while keeping the product more or less the same. And then there's the sort of, you know, abject failure of the of the product. And uh, I think I think in general people have been very uh, open to give us feedback on the on the messaging and the way they think about the problem. So I think over time, over the next few months, we'll just get a, a much tighter feel for for how people think about the tool and, and, um, you know, what, what benefits they get. Um, and so I guess if, you know, if people are, if people aren't willing to spend money to, to have these types of systems in their offices, then it eventually will, <laughs> that that problem will solve itself because, in the sense that we'll have to pay it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. In the sense that just, you know, we wouldn't be able to find customers. Why are you, and so you're so with your product, you're targeting only businesses. Why why not consumers? In the short term, because we have to. It's, it seems to be the best place to start. Um, partially because a lot of the stuff is dependent on the breathing sensor, and so as we go through the commercialization process of getting the breathing sensor up to a point where we could actually ship it to consumers, um, it makes sense to just just. Um, get companies to convert conference rooms into these types of spaces and and over the long term we'll move more into the consumer market can you talk more specifically about the breathing sensor itself like uh let's start let's start from the beginning whoa where where it's where what what is this is it mm, where did it come from (laughs) where where the where did the idea come from to use a, a breathing sensor um it started out as like 
what was I? I mean, I worked at a, a company called National Instruments for four years, and they they make software and hardware that helps people acquire data from sensors. So if you're like you're trying to like um, automate like a gas turbine or like a wind turbine, or like you're trying to measure neutrons in um, like the spallation neutron source, like th- this is the sorts of things I was working on. It was basically like how do we use sensors to automate processes and collect data? And so as I started thinking about like VR and sort of therapeutic experiences that just naturally was an, an angle that I was looking at it through was what, how can we use some sensors here to make this experience more immersive, more interesting and more mapped to the, the physiology. Um, and so that was the beginning and it started out with playing with um, like a microphone based breathing detection and that led towards some pretty cool effects, but not a lot of, um, quality I would say like there's a lot you know sound obviously if people are talking you know there's a lot of filtering problems um and then that led towards playing with like the sort of strap-on diaphragmatic sensors and then are you familiar with those the kind you like yeah you like strap yeah yeah so so you strap them around your abdomen and then and then they what do they do they're they're, they have accelerometers or they have like a little, little strain sensor so they measure how much how like how expanded your chest is, uh, uh, which is which is pretty cool, but uh, it doesn't correlate directly with the breath coming out of the mouth. And so you can you know you can be moving your stomach in and out, and like if you if you put one on and it's not adjusted right, you don't get any signal. If it's too tight, you like overwhelm the signal. And so it was just like it wasn't an elegant solution, and it didn't really create the effects I wanted. And so that led towards saying, well, how do we how do we actually get breathing data like the actual flow of air coming out the mouth in and and then so that led to reading about some of the research on the topic and eventually hacking together some sensors and uh, arduino and some other stuff and and um just building one on our own um and to where now basically you have this we have a sensor that you you can clip it onto like a vive or um a oculus rift and eventually like mobile headsets and it just hangs down like a boom mic and you move it in front of your mouth or nose and it detects the airflow coming out um and and then you can you know within the within the application you can you know position a particle effect so when you breathe out it actually feels like breath is coming out of your mouth which is a really um, cool experience i know this might be a silly question but is there anything else that it can detect besides airflow uh perhaps as the technology technology gets better or or not Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like what, like what, like it could could have a microphone built into it, I guess. Um, I'm I'm interested in something that like uses like some sort of imaging to get a really good idea of like if the you know mouth is open or or closed or like is the air coming out of the nose or the mouth. Um, those types of data would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what what it could be. I'm still trying to figure out. Could you could you put something that will detect bacteria close to your mouth? Oh wow! Uh, no, I don't know. Yeah, I've, seen, oh. I've seen some actually some articles on um, diagnosing diabetes. They can you can do um, there's some like nanoparticle based sensors who that can detect um, abnormalities in the like oxygen and other molecules that are in the breath, and um, they're really well correlated with with diagnosing like various uh, types of diseases. But diabetes is one. So let me ask you another um, silly question. Why why is breathing so important? I mean, why why is it so important for there to have 
uh, this mechanism to use breath in this experience? Mm. I mean, for it's like the only it's one of the only things in your body that you can both consciously and unconsciously it's you know it's like if you're not thinking about it you're always breathing but you can always start thinking about breathing and so it it naturally taps into all sorts of responses I, I was reading an article yesterday about um, PTSD and it was talking about how um, people that suffer from like severe trauma they get into these really shallow breathing patterns and they're just like stuck there. And the one way to get out of them is to, to control their breathing in these like long, slow rhythmic patterns. And in doing that, it opens up all these other uh, automatic sorts of responses around like heart rate and blood pressure um, and like muscular tension. And so breathing is sort of like the, the way that you can like consciously get a window into all sorts of aspects of the, the consciousness and the, the physiology. Um, and then, you, and you see, like traditionally, like yoga and meditation, like breathing meditations and breathing as a part of yoga, are, like have thousands of years of of validation as like a you know intensely powerful therapeutic modality. And so it's like, why why reinvent the wheel? You know, I've noticed myself. Um, I've been breathing a lot more shallow uh, lately. And I think it's because I used to li so I used to do a lot of a lot more fire breathing, a lot more like uh, uh, Winhof method stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I stopped because I moved to an apartment building that's next to a highway. And I remember oh. reading an article about how people who live within 500 meters of a freeway uh, are twice as likely to get lung cancer or all these other kinds of cancers. Oh, wow! So I'm like. And I, so I'm thinking in the back of my head like this. I have this paranoia that I'm like, if I breathe too much, <laughs> if I breathe too deeply, I'm going to absorb the particles extra hard. So I'm like, uh -oh. so, I, so I have this silly thought that I don't know. I just got this wall, mental wall where I'm like, ah, I don't know if fire breathing is going to help me here. Like, oh, man. I, well, I, think it, I think it could because it's probably like you're going to be breathing anyway. And so you might as well like get yourself in a less stressed state so that your immune system has more of a chance to like recharge and like handle the particles that are coming in uh, i'm not kidding you shallow breathing can suck my balls dude and i and i can't stop not doing it <laughs> like it's so hard it's like I, it's I, so I, bad yeah it makes me it makes me i feel like i'm in it makes me twice as anxious and i'm probably doing it right now like you can probably tell by how i'm talking like i'm a mm -hmm. little bit like tense so let me let me see if I can do it. Like if I can just take a breath. Yeah, you do like a yeah a four second inhale here. Like one, two, three, four, and then six second exhale. Yeah, that's necessary. <laughs> ah, so good. It's necessary, man. In life, you just gotta you gotta remember to breathe. Yeah, it's like the most basic thing. So, it's it's crazy how the most basic things in life, as adults, I at least me as an adult, I have to like remind myself, like, don't forget to sleep, don't forget to drink <laughs> a lot of water, don't forget to cognizantly breathe more. You know, yeah, like, it's, it's crazy because I'm. It's just like uh, this. It's so elemental, so basic. We know it's mm -hmm. good for you. And have you seen? Yeah, go ahead. 
As you say, have you seen the Spire? It's like a, a wearable that um, you wear, it clips on your belt, and it measures your breathing for irregularities, and then it'll it'll just give you a little buzz if you're breathing too shallowly. Ooh. Have you tried it? No, I haven't. I want to. I wonder. I wonder what the effect uh, of it does. Um, like, I wonder if you develop some sort of Pavlovian response over time to it. I don't know. Maybe. maybe I, bet, I bet. I bet you would. I bet eventually it would just buzz, and you would just automatically start breathing better. <laughs> or yeah. maybe like your system would develop like a preventative. Like it would realize that it was about to get buzzed, and then it would just not. You would just start breathing before it even buzzed. How do you, you, how do you, here's the question, how do you get people to do things, develop habits, without them even noticing that they are? I think you play with the incentive structure. I mean, that's what, like, that's what biofeedback does. And if you think, there's been some of the interesting learnings about the, um, like, the flying, the breathing flying experience is that you put someone in an environment where your breathing controls your locomotion. And they just like put them in a space, and they're like, oh, "I want to." There's something interesting in the environment, and I want to go over there. And it's like, I the only way I can get there is to breathe. And um, so I think, in essence, the the breathing gets like abstracted away for whatever your desire is, and then breathing is the only way to get there. So I think that's that's one really interesting way of of playing with like incentive systems. Yeah, what is the cost of the application and the uh, accessory? Is there? Can you talk a little bit about what are your thoughts are surrounding that? Um, it's still to be determined. We're in some discussions. I think there'll be some some amount of buying the system um, and then paying a monthly monthly f- service contract as, because we're we're going to be updating the content regularly. Um, so still still in the works. I'm going to challenge you for a sec because I, I, I like I like not having circle jerks, and, <laughs> and I and I, um, I want to ask you why can't I give you money? <laughs> I want that application on on the Steam VR website or storefront, and I want to mm-hmm. I want to be able to use, you know, I want to be able to buy the accessory like a Leap Motion, and then mm-hmm. and then be able to you know uh, use it to uh, you know for my own purposes. Tell me why that's not a that that's not a good idea. Mm. I think what the so the plan right now is to release a very similar experience on Steam that um, doesn't like you can you can buy the sensor later on and you'll be able to just plug it in and it'll work with it. And so a lot of the um, like you can have a rhythmic paced breathing effect in the experience and you just have to. It's more like a guide where you just have to match your breathing to it, whereas it doesn't actually map to the actual breathing data. So, I mean, obviously, like, as soon as possible, I would love to sell it to as many people as possible. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe maybe it's feasible to do it sooner and, and offer some sort of, like, uh, early alpha or prototype or, or something. I don't know. We've, we've talked also about doing, like, a Kickstarter, um, but we'll see. What is the process of making the um, the accessory, the tool to detect the breath? Like, what is do you have to? Are you getting them custom from China, or are you like what is there? Yeah, we buy we buy a chip, um, a couple of chips online, and then assemble it um, manually and assemble like a little amount um, and do some like 
wiring and heat shrink tubing on it. Um, so let me ask you, so if they weren't for you, that sensor wouldn't exist? Um, the sensor is actually, it's used for like um, wind speed measurements in like anemometers and stuff like that. What's an anemometer? Like a, like a, um, a weather vane. What's a weather vane? Sorry for asking. Like uh, you know, like um, like the little things that sit on top of like a, a weather tower and tell you how fast the wind's blowing and which direction coming from, that kind okay. of thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Oh. Yeah. So it's just so it's just applying that to to VR. Um, and then I think I think you know before we actually ship it though, there's a lot of things that could be improved about it, and so that's that's sort of where it's at. Is like, well, this this works pretty well. Um, and it works well enough to create these types of experiences. But like, if we were going to really design this thing from the ground up, like, there's there's ways of cutting costs and also improving the fidelity of the signal. Your your experience um, is extremely unique, <laughs> and that's a good thing and a bad thing um, because on the one hand, you have um, you have sort of this locked on this potential market, on this potential niche. Um, but also there's a barrier to entry because people have to buy this accessory and sometimes mm -hmm. it's hard to even know um, whether the experience is, is worth it. So how do you yeah. plan to perhaps give people an idea of what they can expect, like demo stations or mm -hmm. uh, uh, I don't know, what, what, what do you have in mind? I think, um, I mean, I think on the business side, there's a really interesting play there, which is like getting it in front of businesses where you know hundreds or thousands of employees in the Bay Area can experience these things firsthand through their through their work. I think the question to be determined is with a, a pseudo breathing experience or one that doesn't map to the actual sensor um, that we could ship to the Vive or the, the um, Oculus Store in the near future. Does that pro provide enough value to make someone actually want to buy the sensor to enhance it? You know, are they getting fifty percent of the value out of it, and they could get another fifty percent, or are they getting, you know, eighty percent of the value through this simulated um, exercise? I think that's there's um, questions questions that will have to be answered. Very um, good but questions. I, I think the other thing is I've talked to a couple of people about setting up. Um, there's some people that are setting up VR booths at like conferences and. Um, uh, airports and so there's potential to get get these types of systems in those places uh, to where like you know you're waiting on your airplane you could just you know pay at five bucks or something and have like a 20 or 30 minute like experience um, so that's that's a interesting possible avenue to get in front of a lot of people let me throw a, a tip or, or a possible uh, lead to you um, San Francisco Airport International Airport mm -hmm. has a certified pig that <laughs> people can pet when they're stressed. Oh, that's and this that's pig awesome. Goes around and smiles and gives people the the paw and dances, and it's pretty awesome. Here's the thing: like SFO being sort of this, it, it's the first pig, by the way, in the nation that has ever gotten this honor to go around airports <laughs> and like giving people anti-stress. I think. I think SFO is one of those places where I feel like you should reach out and be like, look, you guys are so innovative. You got a pig. Let me mm -hmm. tell you, we got, you can bring VR. I mean, how, how badass would that be? You know, SFO would embody Silicon Valley even more. Yeah. Um, yeah. It'd be awesome. I feel like, you have, I think you have a potential sale there because 
when you sell it or pitch it to companies or potential clients, like what does that look like? How do you how do you propose the problem to them? Or pro- yeah, I mean, most it's it's interesting because um, in the companies we've spoken to in the area, there's there's a lot of openness to this type of thing. Um, what what's happening, I think, broadly is people are are really aware of the benefits of meditation, but they can't keep it up as a practice, and so. And there's lots of good data on like you know reduction in stress and the cost of high stress employees and the cost of employee turnover and lack of focus and sort of the need to be able to focus for doing knowledge work. Um, the the case seems to be there more or less for this type of a tool and it's generally being well received. Um, so it's it's yeah people seem pretty open to the, the idea right now. Let me ask you about how you intend. Um, to get people to keep coming back, um, do you, for example, what are your thoughts? What are your what are what are your strategies to get people to come back to the experience? Is gamification one of those things you've been thinking about? Mm, yeah, gamification. I think making the 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 scenes nicer, more interesting. Um, you know, there's infinite ways of of having a relaxing experience. Like if you could sort of invent any place in the world and make it relaxing, there's all sorts of places that you could experience um i think the one thing i'm really excited about is visualization exercises and ways of getting people to um mm, sort of leverage the experiences outside of vr and so so right now i'm doing some prototyping with like um mantras so like traditionally you might have like um like a meditation mantra that's like may i and all beings in the universe be peaceful and you sort of feel some sense of connectedness with all these beings in the universe. Um, so if you combine speech recognition and, and um, VR, then at, as you get someone to say certain types of things, like, you know, I'm focused, I'm powerful, I'm loved, whatever it is, if you have this full-bodied, immersive um, feedback loop that's created where when you say those things, the, the environment responds in a positive way, um, I think that's a really interesting direction that leads towards things that are a little bit more sticky or things that get built into a person's routine. So like if you, you know, say you have um and you have a hard time sticking with a meditation routine, but you can just dedicate 10 minutes a morning and it's like almost like having a meditation teacher or like a therapist that's like coaching you through some things. It's just like you go in, it takes you through a breathing experience and it ends with like a some empowering mantras um i think it's feasible to to get people to work that into their daily routine i when i um so this is something that i think is really interesting because i used to think um i I had a friend who or i've had friends who have recommended to me to do things like hey why don't you write on a notebook like a hundred times oh i'm going i'm going to do this this year i'm going to do this this year i'm going to do this or I'm gonna, mm-hmm. uh, or, or or in in a state of meditation, you do you say like repeat, uh, repeating over and over the same statement like I am loved or I'm, and and I um, <clears throat> and I used to think I used to think that was bullshit. <laughs> I used to yeah. think that was like, uh, like there was something wrong with that. Like you know, what are you a broken <laughs> record? Like are you do you have not the will necessary? And I found that the mind is kind of fucked up because, at least mine is because. For me, it's super easy when I'm like sad or uh, stressed for my mind to go into like, holy shit, I'm worthless. And we're mm-hmm. like, holy shit, what, what am I doing here? Like, 
and then and yeah. that loop in the negative direction for some reason it's much easier to go to oh accept. yeah um but the loop in the positive direction like you you have to actually fucking have to put your foot down and, yeah and and, and and like and and i don't know and sometimes even feel like you're being someone else <laughs> when you're yeah and you're just i don't know so how do you well, i think uh-huh go ahead no, go ahead no 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 it well it's just like i think to your point on like you need like people need help like uh and if you think about the way that we like get help basically it's like technology like vr is now offering this embodied medium where like help can sort of come to you when you need it and like be in like a, a you know a physical form in a sense um where you don't have to feel so much of that effort on your in your own sense that's like you know i'm feeling down i'm feeling like low today like how do i sort of bootstrap myself out of it well it's like what if what if technology could be you know this sort of friend that you can just call on anytime you want and it sort of pulls you out of it by looking at where you're at and engaging with you in some way and creating this sort of experience here's where okay so i'm a hundred percent with you but because i don't want to continue the circle jerk i want to i we got i got a challenge we got to make things interesting because mm-hmm. the counterpoint to that would be well look well look chris there's the example of the um, of how <clears throat> the social media has turned uh, things that could have turned into revolutionary change into, um, you know, slackivism, slacktivism. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Where, like, hey, you give me a thousand likes and, you're, you, and this person is going to get, you know, yeah, what, you name it. Like, it, it, it became, activism became more about likes and has become uh-huh. more about likes than, than, than actually getting out there and doing something. And so, um, I'm I'm throwing stones out there from a glass house because I <laughs> am one of these, these people, and and this is the thing I've fallen in, into the trap where like technology has made it has has made it uh, somewhat easier uh, to accept an ugly truth. Like when when people have are are there's this, there's this concern that when uh, old people maybe you and I reach an age where like people are going to have to take care of us. God, I hope synthetic biology doesn't let, let that happen. But like, <laughs> but if, but if we ever end up in that reality where like, you know, where people have to take care of us more than, more than likely it's going to be robots and it's going to, and I wonder if it's going to be like, <clears throat> you know how we're giving like little seal robots to old people right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering if, if technology is basically putting a, a, a band-aid over a, a, a giant fucking gash. <laughs> um, and how do we know whether whether it's a band-aid where, 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 where when you're applying a, a band-aid on something that's a much larger, you know? Like, what do you, how do you deal with those thoughts? Oh, man, I feel conflicted because I think on the idealistic side, I think technology should be should be enabling us to have like closer knit communities and to spend more time with each other and to like, to have like, like deeper relationships. But it seems like, you know, in a lot of ways right now, we're so caught up in the technology that we, um, there's something, something that's like millennials are like less happy and have less sex than like, I think maybe you did you say this on the last podcast? Yeah. I think that's what I just loved. Uh, it's like, I did say yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure you did. It's like, why are we getting less happy when we have more technology that can remove the need to sort of toil away 
Um, and it's like, I don't know, I think there has to be a broader societal change at some point where this sort of, the structure of consciousness evolves. Um, yeah, but yeah, where, does, where does that come from? <laughs> How do you... I think, yeah, it, it, I mean, it has to come from the ground up. And I think, I mean, I think in some ways I'm optimistic. I think lately I, what I've observed is Facebook seems to be getting more real, um, which is interesting to me. Like it seems less, it's almost like people are coming around to this realization that, you know, building up the ego through Facebook posts is kind of a waste of time. Um, and this might be just my personal perspective, but it just seems lately that a lot of the posts are more real, more authentic, um, play less into that game. And so my hope is that since the internet offers us this global tribe, that as we, over time, start to identify ourselves more with a sort of unified whole, this sort of all of humanity as an existence, as, as our tribe, that, um, yeah, that we stop fighting, I guess, or stop, stop, uh, stop with the, um, and just taking it too, too far, or like being, being fake or sort of realizing that we all can help each other or something like that. I feel like I'm on a soapbox right now. Hi, Captain, my dear Captain. Um, no, <laughs> I'm with you, man. And I think here's the problem. Like, I, I, I want to believe, but I need to, in order for the, these conversations to be interesting, I have to like, I have to be an asshole and I have to say to myself, <laughs> you know, that there is the other option, that it could go the wrong way, that things like, so have you seen what's happening with YouTube lately? Mm, in what, I mean, in what way? So, so YouTube um, basically, in my opinion, have sold out, have sold out their fans and they've sold out their content creators. Um, mm. And they sold out to big media, old guard media corporations. And in, in what way? Like they through adjusted their algorithms so that only so that the big companies that can produce content every day uh, have an advantage over the smaller indie creators, mm. um, and it's and you, you just check it, check out H three H three and check out um, uh, game game theory. They did a really good one. Um, PewDiePie has been like, you know, like all the YouTubers have been like, you know, crying foul lately because mm. um, I think I think YouTube was trying to align itself with old media, <laughs> mm. and I, I I worry about uh, if if. VR is going to have sort of that parallel where at mm -hmm. first it's going to be the wild west <clears throat> but later on you know um, the old media rather than adapting they'll try to co-opt uh, mm -hmm. what's happening in, in VR yeah I'm kind of spitballing but it feels like maybe like there's certain um, problems that are built into the system and like probably no one at YouTube is like explicitly trying to sell out to big media but big media has these huge budgets and they've realized that they can sort of play the new game now and now they're doing it in a way that naturally sort of allows them to take advantage of youtube's um processes and algorithms or something um and because they have big budgets and all this brand money behind them they can create better content that's on a more regular basis um and and that's good for YouTube because that content gets lots of views or something. Uh, maybe YouTube is naturally just falling into that because it's where, where 
the good businesses. But the problem is, is like, where does where does capitalism end, <laughs> and uh, where that's something I've been thinking a lot about lately is like, how do we go from a capital driven culture to something that's more abundant oriented, or the sort of realization that we have pretty much everything we need. We have um, you know self driving cars and the sort of really cheap food and you know cheap energy with solar how does how does capitalism fare you know in the coming decades um, and how does it sort of start to unbundle and and what are the societal and cultural shifts like how do people start thinking differently outside of that model where your your value isn't tied to the the work that you're doing um yeah, I feel like I think that I, I my and my hope has been that VR and all the exponential technologies that are sort of on this up and up right now, like AI and synthetic biology, are going is going is 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 coming um, is sort of in the nick of time, and and hopefully they'll accelerate even more because um, when I when I think about like the future of capitalism, I view it in this in the, in. I, I try to see it from a sort of from a zoomed out perspective, like what is happening to the planet worldwide? <laughs> um, you're seeing uh, the bleaching of the coral reefs. You're seeing deforestation and an immense scale methane being released from the Siberian permafrost um, and I, the acceleration of catastrophic climate change. And, uh, and that's the thing about um, what is happening to the world is that it might create a, a, an era of necessity and thereby uh, an era of innovation through necessity. Mm -hmm. Because um, I hate to sound like an asshole, but humanity is a reactionary species and we're not really good at being proactive because it, yeah, we just aren't. I mean, I'm, an I'm a prime example of that. I'm a, mm -hmm. I'm a slacker. I am, I'm a, uh, I'm going to, I was born a slacker and I think I'm going to die a slacker. Um, <laughs> and, and it's just, and I, and I'm not any different than anyone else. So I'm just, I, I, I think that, yeah, it's, it's one of these things. Are you more pos positive? Do you think, are you, are you more um, optimistic about, basically what I'm saying is, do you think it's going to take something horrible to happen for people to wake up and be like, oh shit. <laughs> there's more there more there's more to this than I thought. I mean, I hope not. I mean, the optimistic side of me says says no, but I totally agree that people are generally um slackers for the most part <laughs> like we generally are reactive. Um there's one quote that comes to mind that's I think that people have been pre predicting that we've been getting close to a maximum possible population for something like 150 years, 200 plus years or something like that. And continually technology advances to increase productivity of, of the workforce and of the properties to produce food and whatever else. Um, that like we continually keep solving the problems that we think are, are there are going to be. And so like I'm optimistic in innovation solving the problems. I think there's just like, it just seems like the stakes get higher the further and further we go down the path. Um, to where you know, yeah, like we we don't know what we don't know, and like what what if we set some sort of um, catastrophic cycle in motion with regard to the climate, for instance, that 
um, causes all sorts of distress um, or with, you know, synthetic biology or, you know, some sort of, you know, we're hacking around with new new types of viruses, for instance, and we accidentally, like, kill everyone. Or uh, same thing with AI. Like, like we're, we're much, much more powerful for good, but also, like, our, our screw-ups have the potential to be much more catastrophic. Yeah, it's, um, you know, and one of the things about, I've, I've had this conversation um in terms of like the potential worst case scenario for each and one of these technologies. And I don't think VR can wipe out humanity. AI mm -hmm. can, synthetic mm -hmm. biology sure can. Um, but I don't know if uh, like, like quant yeah, quantum uh, na nano machines or nano technology can, but, but I don't know if VR can really wipe out humanity. It can not mm -hmm. put it to sleep. Yeah. But I don't know if it, if can you think of a scenario in which VR can bring the downfall of mankind? Because <laughs> that would be great. That's like that would be a great book to read. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I can see one path is like, yeah. I mean, and I agree on the sort of it can become like the opiate for the masses. Um, but I also could see a world where it becomes like the training ground for the next version of AI that does cause cause. Um, like some sort of something catastrophic to happen. Um, let's see where am I going with this? But well, here, here's the thing. Let's let's bring it. Let's get a little bit more. I, and I think my, the reason why I, I tend to do this, it's a noticeable pattern in these podcasts. Is I, I go really dark before it gets light. So mm -hmm. it's time to turn to the light side. And I honestly think that the possibility for because AI is going to cannibalize the jobs of the real world. Um, mm -hmm. It's just a matter of time. And what are human beings, what sort of jobs are human beings going to be left with, I think are going to be jobs in the metaverse that we're going to pick mm. up, you know, because we're, you know, we, we like to fiddle around. Yeah. <laughs> we like to explore. We like to share shit. It's, it's just something that won't go away. And I think we'll just migrate there to do, to get that done. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, you'll have all sorts of people that want to, you know, decorate their virtual house or, um, you know, I, I think you also see like with globalization from the like seventies onward, I think it was like, there's been a huge spike in massage therapists and beauty parlors and, um, all sorts of these, what used to be really boutique industries that are now sort of very common, like yoga. Um, you know, you can order a massage therapist like an Uber right now. Like there's an app you can get on your phone and you download it and you can order massage therapists like and they're rated like Uber and they can come to your office or your house. That's crazy. What's the name of that service? I, when I remember, I will tell you. I think it was like I remember softy or something, something with the word soft. I remember bumping into someone in San Francisco on the street who was giving out uh, promo codes once, but I never used it. Yeah. These, these startups are... Um, I love I love the creativity behind them. Do you have a, a favorite uh, startup uh, idea that uh, you've run into? You know Scoot. Do you know Scoot Networks? The Scoot, one with the, the, the red electric, scooters, electric mopeds. Freaking love those guys. I think if I'd like if I was doing a different business, like that would be one of the ideas I would be really big on. Like renewable electric transportation. Mm -hmm. I think it's huge. I think it's, I think they're going to do really well, and I just I love the product. 
how so yeah tell me how it works i, I i'm curious do you, you never used it no. it's um basically like all over the city are these little charging stations and you have you download the scoot app you sign up you pay like five bucks a month and every 30 minutes that you rent a scooter is three dollars or something like that it's like a dollar a minute um and so anywhere in the city you just look at your phone kind of like um sidecar or um or what's the like get around whatever the one is or you can rent the, the cars off the street you just look around and you see scooters and you just book it on your phone drop it off one way so if i'm in like the mission i can grab a scooter drive it down to the financial district park it in a garage you know be done with it and it's the, like the fastest way it's like two times faster than any other method around town because you can do the whole lane splitting thing and um generally there's spots available near where i want to go um so you just pay you know by the minute basically huh. uh, and then you don't have to park it at a charging station like if as long as it has more than like five miles of charge left you can park it on the street all sorts of places huh. how do they keep track i'm sure they have like gps on it or something they can keep track of them uh, yeah they have the gps on them and they just bill you by the by the minute and then they know like, even i think I, I heard of someone that like dropped theirs like they knocked it over and like they have some maybe accelerometer and it te tells you if it's been fallen over or not. And so they'll send you a message and be like, are you okay? And like, Whoa. so they like, they have it like logged in the system that it was like knocked over. That's cool. Wow. Oh, 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 and you know what would be interesting? Um, like, um, with the, with the breath apparatus to have mm -hmm. sort of, so I, I thought about breathalyzers, you know, I, what else could they, What else can we do? Mm -hmm. What else could we measure from breath? Like breathalyzer, okay, that's you know, right, we, what, what, there's no really consumer need. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if there's anything else. Anyway, if I looked at your phone right now, what would be the top five apps that you've been using? Top five apps. Let's see. I'm gonna I'm gonna open it up. Um, Reddit. I'm always on that. Um, I don't use I use it on my iPad. The Paper Fifty Three. Do you know that app? Mm -mm. What is it? Um, it's like a drawing app. It's like a smart drawing app for sort of taking notes or getting thoughts out. Oh, Insight Timer. Do you know those guys? Nope. It's a meditation app that's like kind of like um, a platform for meditation teachers anywhere in the world can post guided meditations. Um, just really good. Actually, I had a, like a really deep experience off of a, an hour-long guided meditation in that um, that I would highly recommend. Let's see. What was it called again? Uh, Insight Timer. I-N-S-I-G-H-T. Yeah, SoundCloud, of course. Slack. Honestly. And what about your top five favorite subreddit, subreddits? Mm, Unreal Engine. Um, Oculus. And then just like whatever else is in my feed, I think funny and news or something. But yeah, mostly VR stuff. How, how's the Unreal Engine community growing so far? How's that coming along? Um, it seems to be doing really well. Um, I say that, and then I go look at like the Unity stuff, or I see like at the last San Francisco VR hackathon, there was like I think I was like the only Unreal developer there. So <laughs> I, I think. Everything I see seems positive, and then I um, realize how many people are building on Unity. So, I mean, the community overall is amazing. I mean, the, the forums are really active. It seems really close knit. Um, 
there's like a Slack channel for anyone who's doing Unreal development. Um, that's really active. It's got like a few thousand people on it. Uh, so, so yeah, it seems good. I mean, they're like pumping out updates to the engine like like crazy. I feel like every every couple of weeks is a new new engine version. What makes you want to stick to Unreal Engine over Unity? Uh, Unreal looks better generally. Like the rendering engine, like quality seems to be better. And so, with these lower interactivity experiences, like relaxation and meditation, it it leaves open the option to really focus on the, the quality of the experience. Um, and it's and it's fully open source. And I think at some point with a lot of the sensor stuff, it might lead towards really needing to dig in and make low level optimizations. Yeah, that's true. How how was it integrating the uh, the sensor with Unreal? Mm, it actually wasn't much of a challenge. Um, there's some pretty well hashed out like drivers that are already built in as like plugins for like serial interfacing, and um, so it for for a fair bit of it, it was pretty pretty good. I th we're gonna need to go in and like probably write it in a more efficient way at some point. Um, if, yeah, so so far it's been good. If I were to look at your uh, your overall time deving, like on the on the Unreal Engine, what is, you know, what what are you spending most of your time on? Um, like what like what aspect of the actual like creation process? Like yeah, whether are you like, checking for bugs or are you um, developing scenes or you're writing scripts or uh, it's most mostly developing scenes and de working with there's a couple freelancers we work with like environment artists and animation like character riggers so it's a lot of interfacing with them and sort of um building scenes and sort of putting together lots of different pre-built pieces and building some logic in between them for in blueprints or whatever um to really get a feel for like what's what's valuable i mean it seems like you know, if you look at what's out there right now in terms of meditation or relaxation, it's pretty simple stuff. Um, I think there's a lot of possibility to really like go a lot further than that, and so it's a lot of like building little prototypes of things like speech recognition and other type like heart rate, getting heart rate data, and thinking like what's there's a lot of conceptual stuff that's like what what is a good mapping of like heart rate data into the environment like how do you if you could see your heart rate in the world like how do you see it like you know is it the like colors pulsing is it an object that mimics that um that kind of thing thinking about like how do you use the sort of like like neurolinguistic programming type techniques with like you know, understanding of like how the placebo effect works to sort of set someone's expectations and then integrate them into the experience in a way that sort of gives you a sense of being guided down this path. Um, and be because the power of the mind is is so immense to to be able to to create um, a lot of aspects of reality. That's like, what are all the like nuanced ways of of structuring an experience to both auditorily and visually to get someone to to feel a difference in their physiology and in their in their life experience. So a lot of it's conceptual too. I know I'm getting kind of long-winded on that. 
No, but it's uh, it's good, and you know what? You just I I've been this this whole conversation, this whole time, I've been digging in my mind. Like, all right, what can this sensor do? What else can this sensor do besides picking up breath? And I and I think somewhere in there, you sort of like help me realize, and and maybe maybe this is total totally useless, but hear me out. How about attaching a camera that mm. will pick up uh, infrared and heart rate? I've used cameras on my iPad to figure out my heart rate before, mm-hmm. um, and I think and 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 you just attach a little camera next to the little uh, thing that picks up breath, and and then and then and then you have heart rate and you have um, infra temperature readouts. From the- yeah, I love that. Um, that that would be awesome. I heard I heard from someone that then one of the next. Um, Oculus headset is going to have heart rate built in. Yes, I'm sure they are. I mean, because you think they already have the like big padding piece that's on your face and like be such a simple thing to just throw in a little heart rate sensor and then oh, exp- expose that in the API. Um, so then, like, imagine you're like your scary game can like get a feel for how <laughs> how excited you are. See, that's the other interesting thing about VR is that. You know, when you're making hardware, how do you know whether what you're making won't get made by the big guys later on and you get stomped? Mm. Um, you know, it seems like you're on the safe, you're kind of safe with the with the breath. I mean, I, I, I it, it just seems like I can't picture Oculus or, or, or HTC, you know, deciding to attach a, a, a sensor um, on their own. So it seems like you're good there, but... But but you, where I brought up the camera, you know, that actually is something that they'll do to try to measure heart rate and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, how do you, you know, how do you know? Like, how do you know whether, um, are you a hundred percent positive that no other big guy is going to try to emulate what you're doing because they'll find value and they'll be like, holy shit, you know? You know, I don't, I don't know. They could. I think you know, the altruistic side of me is just like, well, if if more people in the world are like breathing, then like all all the better. If, if I can like play a part in that, then that's that's great. Um, I mean, the other side of me is like we have um, a provisional patent application on it, so we have like you know maybe some level of protection if it's you know if the patent's granted and it's um, you know if if <laughs> if I have trust in the patent system working in that way. Uh, but I think, I think I don't know. But I think there's, you know, if if it moves the world forward in a little in a little way, then you know, I, I, yeah, it's, I, it's possible. All right, all right. I, I, sounds fair enough. How about, you know, what are your thoughts about um, getting your product to be to be viral? And and let me throw this idea at you because I've thought about this. How about Stealing, I this isn't gonna. I know this sounds good. It doesn't sound good so far. But like, how about <laughs> stealing the assets from Skyrim, mm. and then and then putting them in your application, right? So you're 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 basically in VR. You're the Dragonborn, right? Mm-hmm. So so mm-hmm. this is this is the Fuzroha simulator, because everyone wants to be the wants to do the Fuzroha. Yeah. So I'm not. So you put I that on Reddit and you say, "Hey, everybody! I think I've, I've developed the VR experience that will allow you to do the foods raw." Uh, I, I, I don't. So I don't. I don't play Skyrim, but I assume you're talking about maybe like fire, like a fire breathing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's the dragon shout. It's the dragon yeah. shout. Yeah. And 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 it's a, it's this epic thing that uh, for the since Skyrim came out, it became sort of a meme. So in in a sense, I'm sort of like uh, hinting at, you know, how do you become viral through memes, or what are your methods to, you know, reach out and get wider exposure. I think I think eventually when the sensor's ready, we want to do some sort of push like that, like come up with a few a few really nice um, marketing videos that are sort of like what are the things you would like really love to do, like breathing fire as a dragon or like you know blowing bubbles or you know melting something with your breath or like fogging up a window and writing on it, um, you know like blowing a dandelion. What's a uh, job where people have to blow? <laughs> Um, Why are you laughing? That was a, that was a legitimate <laughs> question. What, where is the job where people have to blow? Different... Um, I don't know. Let me like tubas, tubas yeah, simulator. Tuba. Yeah, tuba. Your mind is in the gutter, man. I know what you were thinking. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I set that up. I knew exactly yeah. where it would take people. Um, the, the tuba simulator. Yeah, I like that. Tubas, yeah, can... saxophones, um, musical instruments. I don't know if you if you would be able to get that fidelity, right? Like be able to like, you know, imagine if you can all of a sudden uh, sell this to rock band because now you can play rock band orchestra and you can be the tuba mm. and the saxophone and all the other instruments because you got this new sensor. I mean, that'd be amazing. I think it's uh, it's there's so much of the actual music playing that's like physical, like feeling the like mouthpiece against your lips and sort of pursing your lips. That I don't, I don't think. I don't think we could achieve. Um, I've talked to someone that's building like a really cool art experience that would that wants breathing and integrated um, sort of the experience itself changes with your breath um, in an artistic fashion. Talked to some like advertising people who are interested in it for um, certain types of promotional content. So yeah I'm not not sure I think I think what would be really cool though is just to like get it out there and build some buzz around it and then see what people come up with um, just to think about like VR experiences like who knows how many different ways people might want to interact with scenes um, through their breathing and it's such a like there, there's some aspects that have been fun to play with around like interacting like with instead of like a gaze based tracking system for interacting with menus you just breathe at something and you can sort of like launch this like selection um ball basically um and and like choose things in your environment um so that that's been a fun to play with really cool what about what is it that you're sort of looking for on the on the on the lookout for these days are you looking for funding press coverage uh, guinea pigs collaborators more so guinea pigs and collaborators um, definitely use more um, like an Unreal Engine person, probably with a good technical artist skill set, um, and a C plus plus embedded programmer to work on the sensor side of things. Maybe someone that has like industrial design experience um, or has worked in like shipping a consumer product, electronic product, um, and then really we're on very close to getting into some um, businesses. So any, any business that's has some mindful, you know, awareness in their company, like, yeah, definitely open to basically what we'll do is we'll come in and do like a full day 
on site where we'll invite anyone in the company to come in and book like a 15 minute like VR relaxation meditation session and uh, yeah and see where it goes from there and you know if they want to buy a system or not so any referrals in in that direction um, and anyone really who cares about meditation biofeedback sensors meets VR like would love to connect have you thought about combining the experience with foot rubs <laughs> I, I, yeah, we've, we've talked about uh, combining it with um, um, uh, massage chairs because you know a lot of startups hire like massage therapists to come in and do that thing. Yeah, this would be next level. I mean, if you think you're a startup <laughs> you, where you can order uh, a massage with an app, that's cute. Now, watch what we can do with virtual reality. You get a massage, and we're yeah, I don't know, we're using virtual reality somehow. That's yeah, it'd be so cool if you also like had tracking, like if you said had some sort of like inside out tracking where you could track the person that's in the room with you and just like map an avatar onto them yes. and like <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be incredible. I want I've... to embody a panda and I want a <laughs> <laughs> panda foot massage from a from like um I don't know a rabbit or something something, like... something, something. bamboo leaves, lots of bamboo oh, leaves. Like the, the Dalai my... Lama. Or uh, yeah. Putin. From... Putin. Putin, yeah. Putin would rub my, my panda paws. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so what, uh, tell me about your – like, is, what's, what, how has it been looking for on real developers? Like, it's like what's that, like, journey been like? Um, you know, it's – we haven't – like, Eric, uh, the guy who I've been working with, he's taking a little bit of a sabbatical to – you know, what's interesting is building something in this meditation space has led towards a lot of our own personal spiritual growth. And so he's taking some time off and I'm just starting to work with more contractors now. Um, and it really hasn't been bad. Um, there's, there's big communities online and lots of people all over the world that really want to work in, in Unreal Engine. Um, you know, I would love to be working more with people locally who I could be in person with, but it seems, seems not so bad at the moment. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it'll be really interesting to see how that world shapes out with Unity and Unreal. What are your uh, predictions? Uh, I I really think Unreal's gonna edge out um, Unity in a lot of ways because they have the like the high end buy in from AAA gaming studios. Um, they're doing a like. And where that level of money is, um, is leading towards a lot of innovation that I think Unity is going to have a hard time um, catching up to. And I think why it's a little delayed now is because Unreal just opened up their licensing structure like two years ago. And so Unity's had this huge um, following, but but now Unreal's free up until the point where you, you make over $100,000 in revenue. And so... Um, I think the tide's moving in their favor, um, or at least the optimistic side of me <laughs> wants to believe that since I'm investing in it. Um, They're doing the right thing, and Oculus will now uh, subsidize your game up to $5 million, so you don't yeah, have to pay the uh, uh, 5% fee to Unreal up to $5 million, so that's pretty good. So it, yeah, it seems it, like they're doing a lot, but do you think they're doing enough? to incentivize people to jump on the platform and start creating and i mean because that's the thing about being a, a vr developer is it's, it's 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 the wild west still yeah i think um 
I mean, I'm generally really impressed with everything they're doing and like the amount of updates, the community support, the videos they put out, the like marketplace. Um, whether they could be doing more, like, I'm sure they could, but like, the, I'm sure there's so many like concerns to balance. I think the thing that's um, valuable for them is that they don't really seem to have that low end of the market that Unity does with all the indie game developers for mobile. Or, um, and so I think they can be a lot more focused on on VR and these high-end use cases because that's where their, their engine really has the, the chance to perform. Um, so, yeah, over, overall, I'm just super optimistic on them. Um, but, I mean, obviously, like Unity, I've been really impressed with some of the scenes and videos I've seen Unity put out lately, too, so... So, yeah, and then, I mean, and then outside of that, I mean, like, I think when it really goes broad is when web technologies get to the point of of meeting adequate quality for these these big, massive experiences. Like, I, I was impressed with some of the stuff I saw from High Fidelity at a recent uh, hackathon, too. Yeah. How long do you think it'll take for WebVR to, um, you know, reach that certain quality? Uh, it's like we were saying before. I think we started this was like the bandwidth limitations are so big, and like the the, the top end of the quality of the experiences comes with such high bandwidth of of requirements for you know for art and animations and physics as, physics capabilities that um, I don't know maybe maybe five years. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, well, Chris, do you have any last thoughts, final thoughts before we bring things to a close? Mm, I had a couple of uh, questions like what um what how do you think about the sort of growth of the VR industry especially being that we're both sort of in this health oriented space like where do you uh how do you feel about the sort of real world application of VR for for health and like what's your what's your ideal imagined future I um the in 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 terms of health I think that the HMD um, and the current state of VR is strong. I mean, we're going we're going full force um, with all the different like companies that are putting their you know money where their mouth is, um, and uh, you know by by HMD manufacturers. Like I think what's going to happen is the HMD is going to become so cheap, so so cheap um, that everyone will have one, and it'll be a portal for more personalized medicine. Um, that is integrating AI neural nets, you know, deep learning, um, that is integrating uh, new peripherals. Like, it, you know what, hap you, what, what could happen is that you might have an HMD uh, or you might have HMDs specifically designed for a particular thing. So you might have your HMD for school, you might have your HMD for uh, health checkups and treatment and therapies. Um, you ha might have an HMD for porn. Um, you ha have your HMD for... I mean, it just seems like there's room for so, sort of specialization. You know, it, it, this is one of the things about the, the hardware in, in the current health sec in the current health space in VR is that, you know, it just doesn't seem to have enough sensors and doesn't seem to have enough, um, you know... Uh, yeah, mostly sensors, things for us to be able to pick up how the patient is doing. Eye tracking mm -hmm. would be fucking awesome. Um, yeah. You know, heartbeats, uh, heart rate sensor would be really good. Galvanic skin response would be nice. 
uh, e EG would be good. I mean, the, uh -huh. all of it. We want all of it. Um, uh -huh. So that we can then take your data and do something positive with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for your well, it just seems like, and there's so much. I think we're not even on like the brink of what's possible as far as reprogramming the mind with VR. And so you just imagine combining all of this sensor data with these types of experiences that can really shift people's experience of the world and reality. Yeah, and you know, that's the thing about truth that we don't, I, I, and, and that's the, the idea of truth, what is truth, you know, what uh -huh. is reality, like what, it's hard because, you know, especially in education, like how do I know whether people are telling me the truth, are teaching me the right thing, like I, when, it, uh -huh. when it's math, then that's, when it's math, okay, yeah, it's like, it's something that you can prove in in the world uh -huh. but but when it's things like history or when it's things like um yeah mostly history then how do you know whether you're being told the truth uh, I don't and know. for for me it's like what like there's there's such a it's such a spectrum and like what a lot of people think is the truth is like it comes from a lot of conditioning from society which is like you know how should i be living my life you know what should i be moving towards like what what should I be prioritizing and that leads to a lot of suffering and a lot of like anxiety and depression and sort of trying to live up to other people's standards and I, I didn't want to go dark again but I, but we're gonna have to like the last time the, the what I'm worried about is um, so I'm a huge battlefield you know battlefield fan I love battle mm -hmm. the battlefield series best mm -hmm. first person shooter ever and I've been playing Battlefield 1 lately, and I am astonished by how beautiful it looks and also disturbed by how they've been whitewashing World War One. Because mm. I, I, I've never been to World War One. I've seen like pictures and videos, and I've heard um, you should definitely listen to the Dan Carlin um, mm -hmm. World War One podcast. Oh, because nice. I love, I love his podcast. He's fucking amazing because holy shit, dude. Holy shit, the horror, the tragedy that humans can become monsters in that way should uh -huh. never be whitewashed. And I feel like you got this game where like you're playing, you know, the allies or the Germans and it's 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 like it feels it just feels like it's so beautiful. But that's not the reality uh -huh. of war. Like no one. Yeah, wants, right. No one wants to be in that shit. And so I, I just. I just hope that VR doesn't become that, you know, VR education, you know, because they, because they don't want to give people a, too much of a traumatic experience, they might start. Um, it kind of glamorizes it. Yeah. 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 It could. Yeah. That too. That's not good. We don't want that either. Like, yeah, I think, I think I worry that that's a lot of the situation in like, at least the U S military was like people sort of like war is this glamorized thing and people just, decide they're going to sign up and then they get to, you know, Afghanistan or wherever and realize that like, it's not, this isn't a, it's not a game. Like to my like real people's lives. Uh, Especially in the era of, of, of this rising tide of nationalism that we are seeing all over the world. It's just nationalism everywhere. It's just period. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's just too much nationalism and that, and I feel like those, those were, I mean, that, that's that block, that hegemony, uh, that nationalism had held over the human species was definitely a factor in leading us to, you know, the world wars that we had. 
um, because democracies don't go to war with each other. And uh -huh. we're having this sort of cannibalization of democracy through uh, capitalism. It's, uh, uh -huh. Uh, it's scary, but here we here we have the greatest tool for uh, education and re-education humanity's ever had, mm -hmm. and so now we gotta figure out a way to brainwash the masses. Uh, in yeah. A good way. Yeah. Uh, I think the big question is where does the government fit into that? Like, you know, like what what is the role of the government in twenty years, for instance? Like if nationalism is tied to these these large distinctions that are based on geography like when does that start to break down and when does when is society capable of managing itself at the at a lower level than than uh these national organizational structures i um listen chris i think i think we're gonna be okay <laughs> I, I think it's going to be fine. I think we're going to be okay. And in 15 years, we're all, all of humanity is going to be living in one giant burning man. Great. <laughs> it's going to be great because the robots right, are going to be doing all the jobs. And, yeah. you know, be dancing. Be dancing and teledonics everywhere. And there's going to be <laughs> lots of lights. So much happiness and drugs and love. It's going to be great. <laughs> The future is going to be awesome. Don't lose hope for the future because that's the last thing we need. Like, you know, that's when that's when we get taken advantage of. When people lose hope for the for the future, they end up vulnerable, and then and then they end up, you know, co-opted into cults of personality, yeah. and bullshit like that. So don't lose hope. We can do this. It's going to be fine. I'm mostly never, telling that to myself because I'm never fucking scared. Lose hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we live in a crazy time. I think we're. We're lucky to be, you know, in positions that we can impact the future of humanity. Really, yeah. I mean, I, I. That's 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 huge. That sounds grandiose, but frankly, it's it's true. It's like we're yeah, at the I mean, epicenter it's, of the. It's like thing. it's it's up to all of us to like you know define this new world we want to live in. And, and here's the thing about about this this whole movement of progress. It it the epicenter can be anywhere. Anyway, mm -hmm. you know, it could be in Bogota, Colombia. It could be in somewhere, uh, you name it, part of the world, Bali, like wherever, wherever. It could, you know, because someone can figure out something that can all of a sudden accelerate things in a new, whole new direction. Um, that's the beauty, beauty of the Internet that, that I think is constantly giving me hope. Um, that in Rule 34. I love fucking Rule 34. <laughs> I haven't seen that, dude. Rule thirty four subreddit is the greatest uh, subreddit of all time. I highly recommend it. Check it out, and I will leave it at that. <laughs> all people go off to go check Rule thirty four. Chris, last last thoughts. I know we we always go long, but any any last things you want to leave? Because I don't want to leave people with a mm. Rule thirty four thought. Mm. I think it's just the last thing I said. It's just like we all have like we all have the sort of the power to create the world that we want to live in. So like. Re like realize that we're not constrained by by our thoughts and our conditioning that like each moment is new and we get to create the world we li we want to live in and we're all like co-creating it together so let's let's do that sweet well chris thank you so much for being on the show and thank you for being a true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality how can people stay in touch and follow what you're doing um, Chris at junovr.com is my email and junovr.com um, we post regular blog updates and uh, Twitter also on Juno v at junovr
Awesome. All those links will be posted in the show notes. Uh, thank you for listening to Enter VR. Thank you, Chris, once again. You ha- you're you awesome, dude. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're awesome, man. Can't wait to see you again. Catch you later. Bam. And don't hit.